In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Welcome, Flyer Flyers, to this special edition of the Outer Brightness podcast. We're going to take a little easy this week for the Christmas holiday and talk about some of the memories that we have as of Christmas as children. Um, because of this is the Outer Brightness podcast, we are going to talk about our journeys uh, out of the Latter-day Saint faith and into Christianity and how uh, our Christmas traditions and our uh, practices around the Christmas holiday uh, have either remained the same or changed. Um, and we're going to kick it off with a little bit of fun talking about our favorite uh, Christmas songs. So um, up first, we'll we'll throw it over to Michael to, to talk a little bit about uh, one of his favorite Christmas songs. And uh, so, Michael, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what is what is the song? What is the, fir- the first song on your list and why it's there? What, why it's your favorite? Uh, if you have a a favorite version of it by a particular artist. Tell us about that as well. Okay. So I don't know if this is in any particular order as far as like me having a, a favorite Christmas song, but definitely one of the most iconic songs for Christmas that I've liked for a very long time is the first Noel. And part of that is because it's one of the only Christmas songs where I know all the words to it. It's one of those songs that's just really, you know, like I've gone Christmas caroling with it and I enjoy singing it with a group of people and it can sound really nice if a choir is singing it. Uh, I think that's, that's one of the reasons that it's uh, one of my favorite songs. All right. Good deal. Did you have a version of it by a particular artist that you really care for? For a long time, I would have said that it was probably the Mormon Tabernacle choir. Cause that's what I grew up uh, listening to, you know, them singing Christmas songs around Christmas time and, you know, even now, I, I'll say that there's no denying that they have talent, except that's not the name of their choir anymore. I guess it doesn't exist now. Um, but no, I don't I don't have a favorite artist when it comes to that one. So and I can't even think of any renditions of it. I just like the song itself in this case. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. (laughs) 
Matthew, why don't you hit us with your first Christmas song that you particularly like? Well, you know, once again, Michael kind of stole my thunder, but you know, my Dr. Thunder, if you will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that was, that was one of the songs I also chose. Um, it was the first Noel. I, I just enjoy, I don't know. I like, I like the, you know, kind of like the loud boisterous songs of ex- exultation, you know, and glorying in the Lord. But I, I like the first Noel just because it's, it's simple. And um, I like just the fact that it, it kind of, it kind of puts a picture in your mind of what that, at least it does for me when we sing that it kind of makes you think, you know, you see these, the shepherds in the fields and then they look up and they see the star or, or, or the overlapping planets, you know, we're not quite sure you guys have heard about that. That's happening soon, right? Where Saturn and Jupiter are going to be overlapping. And they think, Oh, maybe, maybe that was the star that they saw, which I mean, I'm not going to say that that would be contradictory to scripture. I guess that's a possibility, right? They saw some kind of, you know, astronomical, a phenomenon in the sky so whatever they saw you know they saw it and they were all kind of drawn towards it and it, and i just like that just that imagery that it evokes in the song where you know of course you know I, I, there's debate as to when it actually happened you know i guess i could nitpick the accuracy but like well it wasn't a cold winter night because first of all it might have taken place in the spring and you know but you know it's i don't know i just like the imagery that it kind of evokes you know accuracy whether it's accurate or not, but yeah. So it's always just one that I've enjoyed that kind of makes you ponder about the birth of Christ and makes me kind of, you know, think about what that night or that, you know, that, that first, that first day when, when Christ was born, what that would have been like. I don't really, I don't really have a particular artist either with, with all these hymns. I've, you know, I've heard different renditions like from Mormon Tabernacle choir or, but I don't, I don't really have a, a favorite in terms of who performed it. It's kind of just, I, these are songs that I just enjoyed singing in sacrament meetings or you know wherever or just hearing it on um uh yeah just hearing it being sung like if there was a sacrament meeting that were specifically geared towards a christmas program so that's kind of what that's just one of the three songs that i also enjoyed to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep Noel, Noel Noel, Noel Born is the of Israel, they looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far, and to the earth it gave great light, and so it continued both day and so my first uh pick is um oh holy night um it's it's one that i i don't know if i can if i remember singing it growing up as a latter-day saint um we might have um 
but I didn't, I didn't really become aware of it as a favorite until I was an adult and, and really kind of questioning uh, my LDS faith. And it was, it was in listening to a uh, Christmas CD by Jewel that I heard her version of it. And um, the part of the song uh, where the lyrics say, you know, uh, fall on your knees, uh, hear the angel voices. Um, It's really kind of a powerful moment when you're thinking about falling on your knees and and worshiping uh, the Christ child. And, you know, what, what, what makes a baby worthy of worship? And when you start asking kind of those doctrinal questions, um, it, it really gets deep pretty quickly with that song. And I remember just having some very powerful moments uh, with that, with that song in, in the uh, Christmas season of probably either 2004 or 2005 timeframe, um, having that really hit me. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my first pick. I had no idea that Jewel did a rendition of that song. I'll have to check that out later. Yeah, it's it's really good. And and like I said, that that part, that fall on your knees part, she does absolutely beautifully. Oh holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. So my my number two pick, and and just to put some background on this, one of the things that really I can't stand, and I'm sorry if one of you guys' next favorite songs falls under this category, but secular Christmas music drives me crazy. Um, I don't know if it's just from like working retail and having to listen to it over and over again, but like just the, um, I don't know, like kind of like the fake happiness and like how the songs are about nothing um, it just kind of grates on me. So like, I kind of noticed that I like songs that are the opposite of that. Um, and I really like, you know, like piano being used in Christmas songs or, and I like it to have deep 
scriptural meaning and to be Christ glorifying and to be really serious and thoughtful. So this song that is my number two song is uh, is one that I didn't like originally, and it has kind of grown on me, and that is uh, Christmas Shoes by Alabama, if you're familiar with that one. And uh, one of the things I like about it is, you know, they were talking in, in church this last Sunday about how Christmas is actually, for a lot of people, it's a really depressing time as well. There's people going through a lot of things, and, and so this song was just really... Uh, thoughtful and, and it's about this boy who's whose mom is sick and maybe going to meet Jesus and uh and she's like you know what we can uh, everything can be Christ honoring even when things aren't aren't going well and uh but I really like that song for that reason yeah that's good I'm not familiar with that song but I'll have to check it out yeah definitely check it out it's worth a listen yeah I like Alabama as an artist so definitely we'll take a look your number two pick so I, I i can't think of any christmas songs you know popular christmas songs that really bother me but i do kind of share with michael's sentiment where a lot of them seem to be focused on you know not the primary focus of christmas kind of focusing on the presents and the snow and winter and things like that you know those are all you know not bad things and spending time with family and i enjoyed the tunes um yeah. but or, but yeah. or saint nick <laughs> saint nick yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure if he came by like he'd he, the real St. Nick would punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely would be. He's like first Aryans, now modern uh, secular Christian or Christmas uh, music composers and performers. <laughs> he just goes to every one of their concerts and says, hey, everybody, I got a knuckle sandwich for you. <laughs> Your name on it. Okay, Uncle Nick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I enjoy all of that. There's, I don't think there's any ones that I really hate or prefer in terms of that kind of music over another, but, but in terms of what we were talking about today, I've kind of more focused on hymns and, you know, growing up in the church and ones that particularly I enjoyed. So my second choice was, um, Oh, come all you faithful. 
And uh, I've just I've just always enjoyed that because it's it's inviting, you know. I mean, right from the first verse, it says, "Oh, come, all you faithful, joyful and triumphant, come you to Bethlehem, come and behold him." So, I, I mean, I know it's kind of more speaking historically, you know, it's with the star and everybody coming to worship and adore the birth of the Lord. It's also an invitation to us to also to come at his feet and to worship him. Um, and I also like, so I like how the kind of the first verse is kind of speaking more to people on earth, you know, whether, you know, right now or at the time of his birth. And like how the second verse moves, it says, sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation, uh, sing all you citizens of heaven above glory to God, glory in the highest. So it moves to the more of the he- heavenly realm where all the heavenly beings and, and the creations of God are, are worshiping him. And, and they're all also sharing in this joy and this glory of the birth of the Lord. And, um, and then verse three, um, it's kind of more a prayer directly to the Lord saying, yeah, Lord, we greet thee born this happy morning, Jesus to thee be all the glory given son of the father now in flesh appearing. So that's a, like, if you really just think about those lyrics, there's very few words there, but it is very, it has a very high Christology in there where it's, they're calling him Lord. Um, they're praying to him, uh, also recognizing that he is the son of God. And so there is just a lot of, I'm kind of with Michael where, I'm, where I really do enjoy the hymns that have kind of a lot of theology there and, and it elevates you. You know, I think hymns and singing are supposed to elevate you, edify you. And, the, and it's also an act of praise and worship. So I, I, that's just, those are some of the reasons I, I enjoyed that. And I just enjoy the, the melody also, the actual music. Um, it's, it's, it's very, it's kind of, it's another one of those hymns that's kind of calm and inviting and it's trying to invite everyone to come and worship the Lord. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for that. Adeste fideles, leti triumphantes, venite, venite in Bethlehem. Oh, come, let 
so my second pick is uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this is another one that I was not aware of uh, as a young Latter-day Saint. Uh, I became aware of it as a teenager. And when I first became aware of it, um, I did not know that it was a Christmas hymn because my first introduction to it was on uh, a CD that I got of a local Utah kind of electronica group called Agnes Poetry. I think they were Catholic. Um, and um, it was not on a Christmas album. It was just on one of their uh, one of their regular album releases. And uh, it was on there and they, they have this kind of electronica version that's that's very... Um, it, it fits with the, with the whole feel of the song, which, which is kind of, it kind of starts out uh, in a mournful way um, because uh, you know, as the lyrics say, um, Oh come, Oh come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the son of God appear. Um, so I recognize it as a, as a Mormon teenager that it was of course uh, speaking of Christ, but I didn't know that it was a Christmas hymn until I was riding around in my car with my dad and I had that CD on and, and he was like, Oh, I know this song. We used to sing this as a, as Lutherans at Christmas time. <laughs> and so that's when, that's how I found out that it was a Christmas hymn. And, and ever since then, it's been one of my favorites um, because it goes from that mournful uh, kind of feel in the, in the verse uh, to the, the very exultant and um, amazing uh, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel, in the in the chorus. is a, a local church here that does a Christmas, uh, used to do a Christmas show live. Um, and I guess they are still going to do it some, some, they had stopped for a year or so, 
but um, we would go each year. It was a free Christmas show and they, you know, the church put a lot of money into producing it. It was, it was very well done uh, dancing and costumes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they, the O Come O Come Emmanuel is a, a theme throughout that show um, that kind of reprises at various points and they just do a fabulous job with it. So probably the Agnes poetry electronica version and, and then uh, that version uh, that's on uh, the Crossroads Church uh, show uh, CD is really good. Uh, their show is called Awaited um, because it's all about uh, Christ being uh, the awaited savior. So that's my number two pick. Oh, I love that song too. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. see your rendition of it michael anyways um i was gonna say any christmas song done by pentatonics is pretty cool um i introduced my son to them tonight actually we were watching some videos on youtube and he's like dad how do they make those sounds i'm like i don't know son i don't know <laughs> um and then honorable mention to the song mary did you know um I think that's a that's a pretty cool song. It's contemplative and and uh, it's not my my number one pick, but I had to throw it in there as an honorable mention. Even though spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure Mary knew because you know the angel said as much to her, and even if she wasn't paying attention, like she was with child um, as a virgin, so I'm pretty sure she she knew something special was coming up. Your baby boy would 
So when I was growing up as a young child, my mom was an enormous Amy Grant fan, and by default, so was I. But I'd only ever heard her secular stuff until I was on my mission, and we were teaching some evangelical Christians, and we heard this music in the background, and it sounded a little familiar to me. So I said, who is this? And they said, oh, it's Amy Grant. And I was pretty ticked off um, because, you know, as a Latter-day Saint, you're very proud of the famous people that are in the in the church. And I thought that that was a pretty big feather in their cap. And so I was, I was pretty upset. I think I actually lost sleep over it, that she was one of those crazy evangelicals. Like, how, how could that be? But anyways, now that things have come full circle and I'm a Christian, um, I have to say that my number one pick is Breath of Heaven by Amy Grant. Um, it's another, it's kind of similar to, to Mary, did you know? Because the song is like, um, from the perspective of Mary, uh, just kind of, you know, it's also really contemplative, like, uh, you know, why did, why did you choose me to do this? You know, God. And so I, I really like that song. I just like the, the sound of it. I like the artist and then um, just the, the sincerity of it. And it's really calming and, and soothing and really beautiful sounding. So that's my last pick. Awesome. I was um, I was going to ask you. Well, it is interesting. There's a whole debate about. I, I guess there's other groups I'm in where they they debate whether "Mary Did You Know" is a good song or if it's terrible. Because there's there's like a group of people that really hate that song because <laughs> they're like, "Yes, of course she knew. She wasn't stupid." But I, well, I really there's some things in the song that she wouldn't have known exactly. Like, did you know that he was going to walk on water? Well, no, she didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of details that she didn't know exactly, um, but I think it's a it's a good song. I mean, it kind of annoys me too because I do think about a lot of the you know the how a lot of people do make Mary an idol too, and 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 there's a concern there. But overall, I do think that it it glorifies Christ, even though it's addressing Mary in the song. But you know, I like how it calls him like the King of all creation, 
and all that. I'm like, yeah, that's totally true. And and I get where some people could be like not liking the song. I, I really do see where that could come from. But you know what? I like it and I'm not apologizing. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, do you have do you have a favorite uh, rendition of that? Just because it's one of your runners up? Uh, you know what? I don't. I've heard a lot of renditions of it, but I can't even name one off the top of my head. I'm more of a song person typically than I am a, an artist person. So mm-hmm. I don't really remember. I don't really connect the artists with the songs half the time. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I am too. A lot of the times. Um, yeah, I, re- I really love that song. Um, this wasn't my third, my top choice, but um, or my last choice. But I th- thought it'd be worth mentioning because yeah, there are, there is a lot of heated discussion about like, well, I mean, of course, you know, it's insulting. She knew all this, but I agree with you that yeah, she didn't know he was going to walk on water. Um, did I mean if you think about it, Christ had twelve men that followed him everywhere he went, right? And they even kind of struggled to understand what his, what he was doing, what he was teaching. You know, sometimes I, I imagine that probably in their minds, they still had this idea that a lot of the Jews had of that he would somehow free them socially or politically, you know, from, from the Roman rule over them. And so like he was slowly opening their eyes that he, he's there to free the captives spiritually, not to free the captives you know, in terms of freeing them from literal jail, you know, opening the sight to the blind was, you know, it's, it's a physical reality that's pointing to his spiritual mission and work. So I think even with them, they struggled to really understand until Pentecost, you know, when the spirit was poured out on the church and that's when they really were empowered and understood and God was working through them. And when Christ promised, he said, you know, you will do greater works than these. I think that's what he was speaking of. He wasn't saying that you can do more than God because I mean, then, you know, obviously God is God, but uh, I was reading a commentary about that and they were saying that it's, it's not greater in magnitude, but greater in scope in terms of, you know, when Christ would perform miracles, it was in limited kind of settings. And so, and, and the gospel is being spread in a very relatively small geographical area into a smaller group. And then once he opened the gospel to the whole world, then it would just spread like wildfire throughout the world. So in that sense, they were greater. And so I think even then, you know, even during his ministry, when he was performing these miracles, I don't think they really understood very well. So to, to, to criticize and say, well, Mary knew all this. I'm like, well, I don't think she really did. You know, I don't think that she really understood that Yahweh was going to come down into the, the child that she would give birth to, you know, and what that really meant. So I, I think it's a really, I, I enjoy it too, just like you. And I think it's really theologically kind of, you know, contemplative to think about all these things. And it reminds us that, yeah, it really, we, we kind of take it for granted sometimes in a sense, you know, like, oh, God took on flesh and, you know, he became the savior. But it's like to them, to Jews at that time, it was such a revolutionary idea that God could bridge the gap between creator and the created and he could take on flesh. That was just so revolutionary. Yeah. And and honestly, I mean, just looking at the massive scope of, of Christmas music that is out there, just because it is, um, you know, doctrinally talking about who Christ is, I think it blows most Christian music or Christmas music out of the water just because of that, you know, and, and it's subtle because the audience obviously isn't Mary because Mary's not even alive when the song was written. The audience is, is us. And it's a subtle way of kind of giving that gospel message to, to anybody who hears it. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. So yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit because that is one of my favorites also, but um all right, let's see. Uh, I got a few tabs open. So the one I actually chose in terms of like my favorite, my third favorite hymn that I wanted to talk about was Angels We Have Heard, in high, heard on High. And like I said, also a lot of this has to do with 
personal experience in my childhood and attending sacrament meetings. And, you know, we would sing that quite a lot. And it kind of goes, how I mentioned before, the two other ones were kind of more, they're a lot more mellow and slower. This one is kind of like just bursting out into exultation and praise of God. Uh, the first verse is angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. And um, so it's just seeing of how even the heavens opening up and, and the heavenly host are worshiping and praising God for what's happening in Bethlehem. And the second verse says, shepherds, why this jubilee? Uh, why your, why your joyous strains prolong what the gladsome tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, I forget which song it was I was talking about before, but it's like the opposite where the first verse was kind of talking about, it might be the first Noel. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was, uh, Oh, come all you faithful where the first verse talked about, you know, Oh, come all you faithful. And it's speaking of humans. And then it's talking in the second verse about singing the singing choirs of angels, uh, in angels we have heard on high. It's kind of the opposite. You know, it starts with the first verse talking about the angels praising God and, and opening in, in joyous strains over, over Christ's, uh, advent. And then in the second verse, it talks about the shepherds. Why are they singing? And it's interesting. I, I never really thought about it as much, but the second verse is like, it doesn't tell you what, why they're praising or why they're singing. It's just questions. So it says shepherds, why this Jubilee, why your joyous strains prolong what the gladsome tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song. So it kind of, if you, I don't know, as, as I was thinking about these lyrics, it kind of makes me think, yeah, why, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why is this so important? Why do we sing? You know, why have Christians celebrated it for so long? And it kind of makes you, makes me at least step back and think, okay, yeah, we, we talk so much about Christ's redemption on the cross, which is definitely, you know, that's, that's the focal point of salvation. But sometimes I think we can take the incarnation, you know, the entirety of the incarnation of Christ for granted, not just his ministry, even, you know, like just his entire life, just, just his existence, his coming into taking, taking on human flesh. Why, why should we, why do we praise God for that? And that's, it's kind of a more reflective kind of thing, but at the same time, still in this kind of very upbeat, very charged, melodic song. And uh, the first verse, um, it's kind of similar to the other hymn that I mentioned is that it says, come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing, come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. I just love that phraseology there, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. And just inviting everyone to come and to worship Christ and to bend the knee to him. And we know, you know, it's not just in the LDS temple, but we know that uh, from Philippians, I think it's Philippians chapter two, where it says that, you know, all will bend the knee to Christ. All will recognize him as Lord. So, you know, at, at the final day. So now it's kind of like inviting you come now, come to him, uh, come and, and worship him. So I, I just, I really enjoyed all these three hymns for kind of similar reasons, I guess, but just, just very, you know, I, I like the fact that it's, it's reminding us what, how we should probably celebrate Christmas. We should bend the knee and thank God for Christ and his incarnation. We should thank him for, the gospel, the good news, the good tidings of, of his coming to the world. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing over the plains And the mountains in reply Gloria, 
Beautiful. Thank you for that. So um, I will, uh, I'll do a couple of honorable mentions as well and uh, hope that I don't uh, trigger Mr. Pibb in doing so. <laughs> uh, so, so some of my favorites are, are secular uh, songs. Um, I really enjoy uh, the, the kind of uh, jazzy version of um, Jingle Bells that, that Frank Sinatra has. Crosby is just classic. Um, it doesn't get better than him, him crooning that tune. And, uh, you know, really, really, really enjoy the instrumental uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas album. Uh, love that one. And uh, I, I can't go a Christmas season without listening to Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So yeah, those are some of my honorable mentions, but like, like you guys, I, I stuck with the hymns uh, for kind of my, three that we would t- discuss. Um, my third is uh, Silent Night. And this is one that I do remember singing quite often uh, as a young Latter-day Saint. Uh, one, because it was one of my mom's favorites. She she served her LDS mission in Germany. And so the fact that it was written there and she, you know, she studied all about the history of, of who wrote it. Um, so that was, that was a big reason why, uh, that was a big reason why uh, I, I enjoyed that song. 
Um, but also I, I remember, I do remember singing it uh, as a child uh, in, in primary and, and actually in, in uh, public school. So um, it, it was definitely one that, that was given to me early. My favorite version of it is um, probably a version uh, it's by a, it's a group called low. I don't know if you, you guys are familiar with them or not. Um, but uh, they, they do uh, kind of noir type music. Uh, it's darker. Um, and their Christmas album is, is in that vein. Um, and they do a version of silent night. That's, that's perfectly uh, in line with, uh, with what that hymn is. You know, it's, it's very quiet uh, kind of understated guitar playing. You can hear, uh, the fingers sliding on the on the strings as they change chords, kind of quiet uh, approach and recording, and uh, just sung beautifully. Um, but I love, um, you know, kind of similar to what you were saying, Matthew, about the incarnation. I love what kind of the closing lyrics of of that hymn say. Uh, you know, Jesus, Lord, at Thy birth. Um, you know, things lyrics like that really really got me thinking as a young person you know, uh, about the, the doctrine that's, that's portrayed there. How, how is, how is Jesus Lord at his birth? Um, and, and thinking, trying to think through that as a, as a Mormon kid, uh, you do run into some issues. Thank you. Uh, I was going to ask, I don't know if that's derailing the conversation, but I wanted to ask you both when you hear these hymns and it mentions Christ as Lord, are you like me and you see it in a kind of a much different light than you did as yeah. Latter-day Saint? Yeah, for sure. Oh man, hold me back. Hold me back, Paul. I have, I have serious thoughts about this. So I had the quote, now I can't find my, my phone, but, but Brigham Young said something along the lines of the birth of Christ being natural if you guys remember this quote that it was just as natural as the births of our children mm -hmm. and so like kind of one of the epiphanies i had recently is that in in mormonism the birth of christ really isn't that special because it's really just part of progression you know jesus was going to come and and be born and have a physical body regardless of whether we needed him to or not because he still needed to do it for himself 
Um, but now, you know, it, it definitely has a new meaning to it because, you know, I understand that God is a totally different species than us. He did not need to come and take on flesh in order to become exalted. And so what that tells me is that Jesus came to earth only to rescue us. And so that puts a whole new meaning on on his birth. You know, to me, it makes it much more miraculous than it was before. And so it's something that I'm a lot more excited about Christmas now, just realizing that one thing. Yeah. Christ is Lord uh, different now than than when I was LDS. Um, for sure. I mean, I, I think the view of, of Lord that I had as a Latter-day Saint, I'm trying to think how to how to phrase this without being too offensive, but um, it was, it was more of a taskmaster type of view. Um, he's, he's, he's your Lord because he's the one you obey. And, and that's true of, of the way Christians view Jesus, right. As Lord. Um, but it, it also has to do with why he's Lord uh, more so as, as a, as a Christian than, than I kind of thought as a Latter-day Saint. Uh, and that goes into what you were saying, Matthew, about the incarnation and the, and the magnificent magnificence of that. Um, and and yeah, so we don't we can't give that uh, we can't shortchange what that means that Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us, um, was here on Earth. Uh, it's it's amazing. And, and if I could just add one thing to what you said too, Paul, because I guess kind of my perception too as a Latter Day Saint was that you know God was sort of a guide along the path, the covenant path that was eternal, that had always been there. And he had just walked it first. And so he was there to, to lead the way. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, he, he allowed, his death allowed me to take that path um, and to repent. But ultimately it was the path itself, the ordinances and covenants that I made along that path that were going to save me. And even God was subservient to this law and if he wasn't following it he could cease to be god and so now you know when i think about him being lord i I'm, i understand that he is the ultimate being in the universe that he is not subservient to anything at all that he really has a name that is above all other names i was thinking about how i like him a mcconkeyite and he was one that really emphasized in his messiah series that Jesus had not yet attained completion. You know, he would say he was perfect in the sense he was sinless, but he had not achieved perfection in the sense of exaltation, as you had explained it. And so he needed, like you said, he, he needed to come to receive his body, to be glorified in his body and to achieve exaltation truly in his glorified physical body. And so, you, like you said, it, it seems kind of like when you, when you really understand it from the Christian perspective, there was nothing forcing God to, come down and to save us you know he he had no ulterior motives he had no he had no vested interest for himself it was completely a gracious decision a gracious act that he determined that he that he that the father would send the son to earth to take on flesh and to suffer temptation and to 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 redeem mankind that would that was something completely that he did all by grace it wasn't there was no self-serving aspect to it and when you think and one thing i wanted to add too is that when you think about how in the lds mindset or at least in the traditional lds teachings because you know nowadays it's really hard to say what a lot of lds are being taught nowadays but traditionally you know you were taught that this is something that's happened before 
that you know there have been other universes other creations where a god or a father sent his son into that world to redeem that creation and so heavenly father here sent christ to only redeem this creation and it will be something that we will propagate in the future potentially in new creations so it's something it's a process that's constantly happening over and over again and then when you think about from the christian perspective this is the only time this has ever happened or ever will happen it's a completely unique circumstance like those 33 ish years that christ was on earth you know performing all he did following the will of the father being being empowered by the spirit you know being led by the spirit and everything he did you know that's a unique thing those those 33 and a half years or 34 years whatever that will never happen again it's that unique there's that completely unique point in time in the meridian of time where where Christ where God came down and did all those things and and we even we to today you know it affects everything you know although pe- people are trying to change AD to BC or you know to BC to BCE before common era and AD to CE with common era but it's still referencing the same timeline the same point in time approximately right it still starts at the advent of Christ so everything you know all of history is foc- the focal point is Christ and his coming to the world and so it's just it's just so amazing to 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 really ponder all, all these things now that you know that, you know this isn't a process that's going to happen over and over again this is a one time deal and all of it is to the glory of god and it's and it's really i mean of course it's it demonstrates god's condescension and his love for us but really the focus is on father, the father you know glorifying himself and sending his son to the earth so it's really about the glory of god whereas as latter day saying i was kind of more focusing on just how much jesus loves me which is still true but um you know, it's more like we should be so humiliated, so so humbled by this by this thought that it should just push us, it should drive us to our knees and praising God for everything, and and remembering that it's all about Him. The story isn't about us; it's about Him. So I don't know, just some thoughts that I had. Yeah, beautiful. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, it kind of flows into uh, the the next part of our discussion, um, at, at least for the first uh, anecdote that I'll share from my life. Um, so what, we're, what we'll do here, listeners, uh, from here on is we'll kind of discuss some things we remember about celebrating Christmas as Latter-day Saints when we were younger. Um, and my first one is that we, we had a family tradition uh, that we would go to Temple Square in Salt Lake City to see the lights uh, because they put up um, thousands upon thousands of Christmas lights uh, each year in the trees and uh, around the grounds of Temple Square, and it it's absolutely beautiful um, as it is if you go anywhere that that puts up thousands of Christmas lights. Um, but it it was a it was a yearly trek that we made uh, from the suburbs to downtown, and, and we'd pick up my grandma on the way, and uh, you know push her around in a wheelchair um, because she used a walker to get around at that point, and uh, it was much easier for her to be pushed in a wheelchair uh, all around the grounds. But we would um, the kind of the first thing that we would do, we would enter in through the the west gate uh, of Temple Square uh, to the west side of right, right on the west side of the tabernacle. Um, that corner of the tabernacle has the baptistry where where I was baptized. Um, and then we would walk around to the to the north side of the tabernacle. And there was a large lawn uh, there that had a. You know, in the summertime and spring and summertime, it has several flower beds uh, in it. Um, and in the wintertime, it was usually covered with snow at that point. And uh, they, the church would put out uh, a very large uh, manger 
scene uh, with with the Christ child and Mary and Joseph and large, uh, I don't know what they were made of, plastic or, or wax, who knows, um, camels with wise men uh, traveling on the far end of the lawn to see the Christ child and, and shepherds and each were lit by floodlights that made it just kind of a beautiful and serene uh, sight to see. And as, as a young child, um, that imagery of, of, of Christ in the manger as a baby juxtaposed against the North Visitor Center uh, second story windows, which had the large Christus statue overlooking that whole scene. Um, it was, again, something that, that made me think. Uh, I know it was explained to me, oh, you know, that is him glorified once he's completed his, uh, his progression, right, within, within the LDS view. Um, but again, it was, it was that beauty uh, of the juxtaposition that made me kind of think on and muse on uh, why, why, is he, why is he Lord as a baby? You know, what, why, would, why should we worship him as a baby um, if, if he wasn't yet that up above where, where you see the Christus statue? And so um, that's kind of my first, my first memory that I'll share. And, and like I said, it flows out of uh, the very beautiful discussion that you just shared, Matthew. So uh, any thoughts on that before we go on? I mean, I, I like your question that you've kind of brought up a couple of times now, Paul, about why worship him as a baby. Um, and I think especially just with the uh, with the LDS mindset that we're the same species. And as a baby, you're, you should be uh, not as far down the path as others, um, especially somebody who's received the priesthood or receive their endowment in the temple, you know, and yet, yeah, people are falling on their knees and, and, uh, and worshiping Christ as a baby. So that is a, an interesting thought that you've brought up. And it's not one that I've thought of a lot until, until you started talking about it. So, yeah, thanks for that. Matthew, you want to share any thoughts on that or, or share your kind of first memory? Yeah. In terms of, I don't know, as a Latter-day Saint, I kind of also thought similar to Christians, well, we believe Jesus is God in flesh. So, I mean, he deserves worship, right? Not because of anything he's done, but at the same time, yeah, I guess you're right in the sense that if you think about it, really, hmm. like you said, it, it, it's interesting because he is God in flesh. But when you're Latter-day Saint, you're thinking things in terms of progression, as we've talked about kind of this whole discussion. And at this point, um, when you think about just when Christ was first born, why, why does he deserve worship? And it's and it's, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I was convinced myself that it's like, well, he deserves it because he's already God. But then that would conflict with my ideas about, well, he's still, he's still not a perfected God. He's not a completed God, you know, like the father is. And so maybe it was more of a, like, well, we're commanded to worship him. So that's why we do it in term, instead of being like, and I've, and I've run that into that problem a lot with Latter-day Saints too. It's like, why do you worship, you know, whether you, whether you claim to worship God, the father and Jesus or all three persons of the the Godhead, which a lot of Latter-day, Latter-day Saints will disagree on, even on that point, you know, which of the persons do they worship? I'll ask, so why is the Father worthy of worship and not his God or the God above him or the God above him? You know, why don't you worship them? Why do you only worship the Father? And a lot of the consistent answers that I got were that people would answer simply, well, we're commanded to worship the Father, you know, so it's it's fulfilling a command. There's nothing inherently worthy of worship in the Father in what, in what those responses were. And that really kind of blew my mind. But then also there were some that said, um, what was the other one? 
um, oh, they were, they were saying it's because he's our father. He gave birth to us. He literally, you know, he cre- he's our spiritual progenitor. And so that, but then I was like, well, but his God was his spiritual progenitor, you know? So if you're going by bloodline or spirit line, whatever you want to call it, you know, why worship just the one immediately above us? So that one kind of fell apart for me in terms of the logic. But then, so then the only really valid one is because they're commanded to worship him. Because like you said, we're all, we're all species of, of gods, you know, we're gods and embryo. Um, so there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of, to think about, but when, when you think about it from the Christian perspective, he is, we are not God. We're not in the same species of God. He's completely different from us. And so the fact that he took on flesh to bridge that gap, to condescend and, you know, in his condescension to come down and take flesh, you know, he's, we, we worship him because he is God. He's the single, he's the unique God. He's, he's God in flesh. And so it's just, it, it's a much different perspective. So I don't know. I, I kind of went around in circles, but I hope something out of there makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other question jumped in my head, just listening to you, Matthew, and this is that, that awkward moment where our lighthearted Christmas episode turned into deep theological because we just can't help ourselves because we're all super nerds. Um, but you know, if we're all gods in, in embryo, and some of us are further along in progression, then, you know, why don't Latter-day Saints worship the apostles and the prophet because they're so far down the path? You know, it's like, what is the difference, really, between them and Christ? Aren't, wouldn't we all be incomplete gods, you know, in, in some sense, you know, if you want to get technical about things? So, yeah, I I do, I do like the new Christian perspective where it's just simpler. You don't have all these, all these holes in the theology. It's just Jesus is, Jesus is God um, in flesh and that's it. And we're not, and that's why we worship him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that kind of goes back to my comments about, uh, Oh, Holy night. And that, that fall on your knees line, um, you know, in, in my own journey, uh, that question of, okay, so why worship him as a baby? It, it, it was a simple kind of simple question I was asking as a child uh, and thinking about. Um, and my, my own journey eventually brought me to where I knew Christ as savior, right? The cross, um, the focal point, as you brought up earlier, Matthew. Um, and at that point, then, then yes, of course you fall on your knees and you worship, right? But, but even then you're, you're, you're worshiping the Christ of the cross. Um, so the question kind of still remains, why, why worship the baby? And, um, and that, that then brings questions of, you know, okay, so what qualified Jesus to save by dying on the cross? Uh, and what is my relationship to him and to God that necessitates that? And then that, that kind of brings you to that line and, Oh, Oh, holy night, you know, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Why are the angels singing? They're not saved by the cross, but yet they're praising and rejoicing at the birth of, of Jesus into the world. Um, and, and it brings you kind of full circle to what you were just describing, Michael, that, that we worship him because he is God. And I don't think, I don't think you get there on Mormon theology. I never did as a Latter-day Saint. And, and the fact too, I think that's kind of, that make, that doesn't make sense to me now looking back is we, we follow, you know, in the Bible, Christ gave the, the injunction, he gave the pattern of praying. He would say to pray to the father in his name. And that's certainly 
primarily what we do in, 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 in our Christian churches, but there is a power and there's, there's a, I don't know. And in, in terms of me, it's, it's like, there's a connection you can make when you can literally, when you can address your prayers to the sun. And a lot of times in our prayers and worship, you know, they'll start with praising the father and then we'll, and then he'll address the son and then, you know, even a, the Holy spirit, um, to actually not just thank the father for sending the son, but thanking the son directly for what he's done for us. We can communicate to the son and say, thank you, Lord, for taking on flesh, for submitting to the father, for accomplishing this on our behalf, because we couldn't, I don't know. There's some, there's a power there. I think being able to pray to the Lord Jesus. Um, I remember how powerful it was the first time um, in a Christian church that I heard someone pray with a Trinitarian formula where they addressed each member of the Trinity and thanked them and addressed them for certain blessings and certain things that they have provided. Um, It was very powerful to hear that. And just, just the incarnation itself, just the birth of Jesus, you know, we see, we see the angels in heaven, you know, praising and worshiping God. We see the son in the manger and we see, you know, the spirit, it was the working of the spirit in Mary to bring about the birth of Jesus. It's a very Trinitarian act, just the act of Jesus coming into the world. We focus so much on the son, but really it's all three members working in unison. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm not going to push the Calvinism thing, but it's kind of like, you know, when you, when I, when I understood the doctrines of grace, right. You, you start seeing them everywhere, you know, and now I can't unsee it. So I don't know. It's a similar kind of thing. Once you understand the Trinity and you understand the unity of God and the three persons completely unified and you see that all, all over scripture. And so I see it in the, the incarnation as well. Yeah. All right, Matthew, do you have a, do you have a memory from when you were younger that you'd like to share? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't really have a specific memory, but I do have similar memories of walking at Temple Square too and seeing the lights and just contemplating, you know, everybody's all kind of in that same, that same mood of, you know, that we're all similarly, you know, we're believing in the same things. We're thinking about Jesus. And I kind of like that environment, but I also, but there's a, so there's a kind of like a Christmas village that they put up in downtown Ogden every year. And I think, and, and, and it wasn't just me that said it, there was a friend I was with last week who said, who agreed with me or who said the same, that the lights in the Ogden square are just so much more elaborate, you know? So we'd go, you know, there's just lights everywhere. There's, you know, millions of lights that they put up and they have a little village there where they have kind of like little buildings, little boxes where you can look inside and there's, there's kind of like glass, um, and you can look inside and there's like little scenes in there and in each kind of individual one. And most of them are kind of like based on like, Christmas traditions in terms of like Santa and elves and reindeer and stuff like that. But, but I just have a lot of really fond memories of going there with my family around Christmas time and, and just spending time with them and, and seeing all the lights and, you know, like being out in the cold, brisk air and just enjoying the kind of the season. Um, but in terms of, in terms of like specifically Christian, you know, focus things, we didn't, you know, we never really were super into, you know, like reading scriptures together the night before or anything like that. So, but, but I just really remember have a fond memory of growing up and just being in that time period. And of course, you know, all little kids love presents, right? So you're kind of looking forward to that. And my birthday's in December too. So, so, um, so I just like that, that time of year. And, and, you know, it's even if you're not really religious, cause there were times when I wasn't very, you know, I wasn't, I was neither really super active LDS church or, and I wasn't a Christian yet to where, you know, you, 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 in general, you just think more about others. You know, you think more about how to help others or you're less concerned with yourself in general. So I just liked, 
just kind of that atmosphere. It, you know, how kind of like how Mondays you can feel what a Monday feels like. And, you know, it feels different from a Friday, you know, just the December time period just feels different. And, you know, sometimes it, it uplifts you from all kind of the worries and the cares of school or work or whatever to just have some, you know, have all these people, you know, sitting up lights and just enjoying themselves and spending time with family. It's just kind of a different atmosphere that I've always enjoyed. Yeah. Good. So let's get a little lighthearted here. Um, what are, what were some of the favorite Christmas gifts that you received as a child, Matthew? Mm, yeah. Favorite Christmas gifts. Well, yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, so I was a huge Power Rangers kid. All right. Loved Power Rangers. I think I was like six or seven when it came out. <laughs> yeah. You're the Red Ranger. Michael, what color are you wearing right now? Blue. Um, black. Oh, man, we can't have two Black Rangers. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, we didn't color coordinate very well. I guess we'll have to fight to <laughs> we'll have to fight it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's so like there was one Christmas I really remember where, you know, like there was a couple of years in a row where I'd ask for, you know, the the Zords. I love the Zords. They, they were like Voltron, you know, they would all fit together and make a giant robot. And there was one Christmas where I didn't even ask for it, but my mom knew I liked it. Um, there was one season of Power Rangers where one the Gold Ranger, he had a giant pyramid as his Zord. And I'm telling you, this thing was like two feet wide. It's like the base was like a foot and a half by like a foot and a half. Like this thing was huge. And it was like, you know, a foot and a half too in terms of height. The box was huge, you know, because it also had the packing material. So it was like, it was like a two by two by three foot box or something like that. I was like, what the heck is this thing? So I just remember opening that up and being really surprised. I'm like, I don't know. That was kind of neat. But, but, but probably the most memorable was the Nintendo 64. Like, you know, that was the year Zelda was out. That was a good time. Zelda, Goldeneye, man. Nice. nice. Yeah, Goldeneye is a great game. I Even as an adult, I played that a lot mm-hmm. on N64. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm going to have to get the N64 out of my son's room and play it some more. <laughs> the only problem, though, is like, you know, over time, those little joysticks get all messed up. So hopefully you have a good controller still. I think we do. Michael, what about you? Any favorite gifts you received growing up? Man, I really don't remember a whole lot. Plus I'm also a December baby as well. So it always blends together. Like, was that my birthday or was that Christmas that I got it? Plus there's always this thing where it's like, I know that you guys are like splitting the budget between my birthday and Christmas. And it's like the same, it's from the same pool. (laughs) Um, But I remember like there was this computer video game that my dad got me. And it was one that we ended up playing together quite a bit, but it's like, it was this game where we were both like in, in like these giant robots and we would fight to the death. And at the end, I just totally trash his into like oblivion. And so, yeah, we just had like a lot of, um, a lot of time playing that, that game. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we gamed a lot when I was growing up and, uh, oh my gosh, I just had this, this vague recollection, like one of those reasons that I would totally be going to hell if it wasn't for, um, for Jesus Christ, but uh, he ended up eventually we upgraded because like that game was super old and the graphics were so cheesy. And then we ended up getting a Dreamcast, you know, which was the big thing. And uh, and we got the game Soul Calibur, and so we would we would duel at that all the time. You know what that one is, Matthew. <laughs> and uh, and we would just we would play like these tournaments. They'd be like, okay, best two out of three. I would wager my chores on it you know like if if i win you have to wash my dishes tonight and he'd lose because i always beat him 
And then uh, it's like, okay, we double or nothing. And I'm like, okay, this time if I win, you have to make me a milkshake tonight. And he ended up having to do like all this stuff for me by the end. But there was this one day that uh, my brother got stranded. My brother Daniel got stranded on the highway in his car and he called for my dad to come pick him up. And my dad looked at me when he got off the phone and he's like, let's play to see who has to pick up your brother. So we had this big tournament and it ended up being a draw. And so we had to like play this whole other game just to figure out like a tiebreaker who was going to go get my brother. And eventually the, he calls again and my mom answers the phone and she's like, what? They're right here playing this game. And he's like, he told me later that he like started crying because he's like, really? He's he's like stuck in a ditch somewhere, you know. He's he's like he's like stuck in a big, uh, you know, in, in a big in, in encampment of snow, and he's like, I've only got twelve minutes of oxygen left. Are you yeah. guys gonna finish that tournament or what? He was just on the side of the highway on a you know normal bright day, but it was like it was like a twenty minute drive just to get out to where he was. So then when he found out that we hadn't even left. You know, it's it's one of those things I look back at and I laugh, but I feel kind of guilty about it too. Like, man, that was just that was really bad. Really Which brother bad. was this? That was my brother Daniel. Oh, and uh, he's still kind of messed up, and I think it's probably because of that. No wonder he's just now understanding you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, Michael, there was this moment when you walked right into my crosshairs, you and really? I did nothing. <laughs> When you said that you can't really remember gifts that you got for Christmas, yeah, I could have gone with an old joke, but I didn't. I held well, back. Well, it would have backfired because that's a double-edged sword coming from you, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know, because now I'm going to start talking about my favorite gifts, and you're going to be like, what are those from the 1950s? What are you talking yeah. about? You mean like a rotary phone? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so some of my favorites were uh, constructs. You guys remember what those were? Um, yeah, I loved, actually. I loved constructs. I loved getting Legos. Um, always wanted GI Joes when I was a kid. Uh, cause GI Joe and Voltron were like the coolest things to watch. So I always wanted GI Joes and Voltrons. Um, but probably the favorite, my favorite Christmas gift that we got was a family gift that my dad got for us. Um, gosh, I, maybe 1983. It was an Apple IIe, uh, home computer. <laughs> And, you know, it was, it was the first home computer we had and, you know, we got to play games on it. Um, you know, really bad graphics ski game where you're just like this X coming down this white hill. And there's just like a bunch of L's going back and forth across the screen as you slalom. Um, but there was a game called the Bard's Tale. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that or not. Um, it's like a, it's like a role-playing game. Uh, you can play, uh, one of, I think it's either five or six characters. Um, and you just kind of go on these adventures through, uh, this city trying to, uh, I don't even remember what the, what the ultimate goal was, but you, you wander through dungeons and into, uh, taverns and you have to complete tasks. It's, I guess it's sort of like Zelda, but pre Zelda kind of thing, but, um, yeah. So that's kind of my favorite thing. Um, do you guys have any like particularly uh, humorous memories uh, of, of Christmas time with your family? So this is 
this is, um, I don't know if I'd call it exactly humorous, but um, my mom would pretty much force us to go Christmas caroling every year. You know, it was her big thing and none of us really wanted to do it because it's kind of awkward, you know, especially when you're a teenager, like really I have to go. And it wasn't like we were going to go knock on random people's doors. Like they picked out a specific list of people that knew our family and we were going to go sing to them. Uh, but yeah, we'd go knock on the door. We'd, we'd sing. My mom would make these big platters of, you know, cookies and things to give out. But it was always, like we always had pass along cards attached. Like if you want a Book of Mormon, you know, here's here's the uh, the phone number for this. Or, or we put in like a DVD that the church put out, like Joy to the World when that came out. Or, uh, and we'd, we'd always be like, at the end, we'd, like, we'd like to read a, a scripture. And so we'd pull out the Book of Mormon and, and turn to Alma 42 and pick a passage, you know, about Christ. And, and all the rest of us would still be singing softly. And somebody would read that that passage about Christ. And then we always tried to give out a Book of Mormon. I remember one time specifically, I think we'd gone to like my English teacher's house and she was Catholic and she refused the Book of Mormon was like just kind of like pushing it back. And my mom just kind of had this look like, like, I can't believe you're not, you know, taking this gift, you know, how rude, you know, and me too. I was just, I was of the same mindset. I'm just like, wow, like some people, I can't even believe them, you know? So that was just something that kind of sticks out of my mind. I can still picture my mom's face as if it was yesterday. Wow. What do you think she would have done if it, if the shoe were on the other foot and the, the Catholic woman was trying to give her, um, I don't know, like a, like a rosary like a and, a, and a picture of Mary. Um, you know, what's funny is I think she would have done the exact same thing, hmm. tried to kind of politely push back and, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. Whereas I'm more, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to offend people. So I, I could see myself maybe just, being like, you know what, I'll, I'll take it, but I want to have a conversation with you about it later. Or if I didn't know much about it, like I could see me just, you know, putting it somewhere or discarding it um, or something like that. Not trying to give it back because it does, you know, it's like somebody's trying to give you a gift and it's important to them. So I probably would have taken it. All right. So uh, did you think of that experience when I asked about a humorous uh, anecdote because of your singing ability, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't let the crosshairs pass that time. Yeah. I see it's war. It's war, Paul. Okay. All right. Matthew, what about you? Any humorous memories? No, I was trying to think of something and, um, no, nothing, I can't really think of nothing national lampoons, Christmas vacation or anything like that. <laughs> oh, no, not really. I just remembered one. Sorry, Matthew. You didn't have one anyways, right? <laughs> no, you're good. Go ahead. <laughs> So my dad is like crazy, um, but I remember on Christmas Eve, he used to always light the fireplace on fire and he'd just be like, Santa's not getting in here this time. <laughs> we'd all be like, no, dad, no, <laughs> you're going to kill Santa Claus. Did he, did he, he also, laugh. did he also eat the cookies and milk right in front of you? Like, see, these are mine now. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't go that far, um, surprisingly. Uh, but yeah, if he'd thought of it, I'm sure he would have. All right. So um, 
Did you guys have uh, live Christmas trees or artificial Christmas trees growing up? Artificial. Yeah, yeah mine, mine was. Uh, mine were real. Yeah, but I don't do that anymore. Mine are artificial now. Yeah, mine are artificial too now. Um, but that was one of my favorite things to do uh, as a kid was to go with the family to the tree lot and pick out a tree. Um, it was always kind of kind of magical to go running through the rows of of Christmas trees and try to find the exact right one that wasn't leaning too much that had a nice full uh, full uh, you know set of uh, needles to it. And, um, I remember one year that this is my humorous story. I remember one year, my dad got this kit. I don't know if you guys, you guys know what a flocked Christmas tree is, right? So like it's white looks to look like it has snow on it. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so it's not just like the, the artificial trees. It's not just like the, the artificial needles are white, but it, it actually has some, some coating on it to make it look like snow. Um, but we, we got a live tree and my dad got a hold of this flocking kit. I don't know where he got it at the mall or, or some such, I don't know, but he brought it home and it was, it was one of those things where you would hook it up to a canister vacuum and pour in, you know, whatever the flocking material was, and then put the vacuum on the setting for blow and you would blow it onto the tree. And he really was excited about doing it. <laughs> doing that this year and we ended up doing it inside and it was just hilarious because we had flocking material all over our living room it was everywhere you know the the vacuum was just pushing it everywhere i don't know how any of it got on the tree um but the tree was completely white but we had we were cleaning flocking material off of the windows and furniture and vacuuming it up off the floor it was everywhere so that's kind of my my humorous memory. We, that was the one and only time that we flocked our tree. So. That does sound like a Christmas vacation. Style yeah. Thing. He was, he was so excited to do it too. And he, he thought it would be so great. And it, it, I don't think he was happy at the end of the process, <laughs> <laughs> but what about you guys? Um, did you, did you, uh, did you set up milk and cookies for Santa as a kid? We, well, we did. My Santa, I think was lactose intolerant for some reason. So weird. Huh. Just yours. I don't know why he had no problem <laughs> drinking other kids' milk, but <laughs> mine wasn't good enough for him. I guess it was like you can only drink so much milk, right, at people's houses before it starts to make you really sick. Mm. So yeah, it's like the gallon of milk challenge. Yeah, <laughs> it just you just start losing it, right? It eventually comes up. Um, yeah, my mom made christmas cookies every year and we would set them out um and you know come to think of it michael my my dad made similar jokes uh because we had a wood burning stove uh we didn't have a fireplace but it was like a wood burning stove in the corner of our living room um and he would light that up and and make the joke that you know oh how's santa gonna get in now you can't come down the you know can't come down the pipe into the stove it's lit up and did, yeah, but did either the, of you, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, did either of you ever try to like stay up and catch Santa like in the house? Cause... When, when I was younger, my older sister and I did. And uh, a lot of times ended up, ended up falling asleep. Um, there was a, we had a wall heater um, that if you opened the door from, from my bedroom, uh, it was, it would kind of sat on the wall right behind the door and, uh, I think waiting up, trying to wait on Santa and falling asleep by that heater uh, is probably something I, cause I ended up 
sleeping by that heater a lot uh, after that. So I think that probably started off a trend. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, my sister growing up claimed to have eyewitness accounts of seeing Santa or seeing reindeer on the roof. And I think she just had this crazy imagination. But I remember one Christmas Eve, she like woke us all up like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I saw Rudolph on the roof and we were all looking out the window like, really? I didn't, I didn't stay up. My mom was like, she had really had me convinced that Santa knew everything I was doing, everything I was thinking. So she's like, if your eye is still open, you know, even if you're laying down in bed and your eye is peeked open, he's not going to come. He's going to go to the next house. So you got to be full of sleep or he won't ever come. So yeah, I was just almost like I would want to go to sleep earlier to make sure that he'd get there and give me the most presents, you know, so that everybody else would get the leftovers. <laughs> Let me ask this question. You know, we've talked a little bit about secular Christmas music and and a little bit about Santa now. And, and of course, there's the secular, there are the secular aspects to Christmas in, in American society, especially um, Santa and reindeer and elves and, and all of that. Uh, and then there's the commercialism of it. And I've, I've worked retail at, at Christmas time as a teenager. So I know what kind of hell that is and, um, and how that can make you a little bit jaded, uh, which I wrote a poem about my senior year of high school about how jaded it made me feel. Um, right, so are you going to share that tonight? Cause, uh, you know, I could probably pull it off of the bookshelf if I could find it, um, and share it. Um, but, uh, I wanted to ask the question, uh, is there anything that you can think of from when you, when you were a kid that, uh, an experience that helped you cut through all of that and kind of, um, understand the, you know, the Christ coming into the world is, is God's gift to us. Right. And, and that's, there's that kind of lies behind the celebration of Christmas and, and the reason for the giving of gifts. So is there any experience that you had, uh, growing up that, that you remember that, kind of helped you cut through all of that commercialism and, and, and realize what the real importance of Christmas is. And while you share and think about it and share, I'll look for that poem. Matthew, you want to go first on this one? And I'm struggling. I'm struggling too, Matthew. I am really struggling with this because <laughs> I think growing up LDS, you, I mean, they just go right along with it. I mean, I can't think of anything that ever like there was ever an epiphany until like a couple of days ago where I realized that, you know, Jesus didn't have to come because it wasn't a natural progression. So it wasn't until I became a Christian that, uh, that, that epiphany came. Yeah. I'm kind of on the same, kind of same boat, you know, like, you know, I enjoyed watching all the Christmas themed films, you know, but they weren't really Christ themed films They're kind of just like seasonal films. And they would say, you know, the reason for the season is giving and caring about others and things like that. And so, you know, watching those kind of movies come to me think, yeah, you know, it's, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about helping people. But I don't know. I don't really think I ever had an, that kind of an epiphany either as a child to where, you know, the focus isn't on commercialism and the gifts and things like that, but it's more about Christ. So yeah, I'm kind of similar. Yeah. I, there's one I always think of. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative of my, my dad for giving us this, uh, this lesson. Um, we were, I don't know what year it was, uh, maybe 88, 89, somewhere in there. Uh, and my dad was out of work and had been laid off and, and hadn't yet, uh, found another job. And so it was, it was a very sparse Christmas for us. 
Um, and we were all feeling pretty rotten about that because we were selfish little kids, you know, and we wanted, we wanted gifts. And he, um, he found out about a family who had been evicted from the home they were renting and they were staying with one of our neighbors, a couple houses down. And, uh, while we were having a, a sparse Christmas, they had nothing that year. And, um, you know, we didn't have any, any extra that, that my dad could give. There was nothing in our budget that, that he could possibly work with to try to help this family. Um, but, uh, you know, he kind of gathered us around as a family and said, Hey, this is, this is what, uh, what Christmas is all about. And we're going to find a way to, to help this family. So he got me and my sister and piled us, my older sister and piled us into the car and said, uh, we are going to go, um, and talk to the managers at, at local stores, uh, and tell them what the situation is, see if we can't get this family, um, a Christmas dinner and, uh, some gifts for each member of the family. Uh, so we went and talked to, uh, the manager at Albertson's grocery store and they, uh, pitched in a full Christmas dinner, turkey, all the fixings. And then, uh, we went and talked to the manager at, um, uh, and it actually might've been later on than this because it seems like I was working at Shopco at the time, but we went to, went and talked to the manager, uh, at Shopco, um, which is a place that I, I was working no, maybe I, had, I wasn't working there yet. My sister might have been, um, but they 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 agreed to give uh, each of the children uh, a gift. So we got to pick out a gift for each of the children in the family, and then we went to um, a dollar store that was around that, that some friends of ours owned and operated, and and they agreed to also pitch in uh, some things. So picked out some more gifts for the kids, and um, it's just one of those things that I'm, I'm really thankful I had that experience as a kid because it, it helped me to realize, you know, that you don't always have to have to be able to try to make a difference for people. Um, and yeah, just, just thankful for that experience that, that he did that, uh, and showed us what, uh, what Christmas is about. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. All right. So, uh, the, uh, the mistletoe poem, and then we'll, we'll go with one final question, which will be, uh, our favorite, uh, new tradition as a, as a Christian post letter to St. Christian. All right. So this poem is called mistletoe uh, written in 1996 boxes line the shelves in perfect order. The smell of dust permeates the air and seems to reach out not to choke, but to annoy time passes slowly. A loud voice blasts over the sound system, buzzing, spitting idle noise, green and red garland circles the store and on the floor, Two customers fight over the last artificial Christmas tree. The loud sound of the cardboard baler screeches to a controlled laughing fury. Drowned out, Bing still sings his notes. Aisles filled to capacity, bumper to bumper. Loud, noisy, annoying, like rush hour traffic. Rudolph has slipped and Santa has fallen. I am no longer a child. <laughs> Those are some mad bars right there. You're, you're, some mad you're like, bars. You're, you're well on your way to, you know, like coffee shop uh, poet. Yeah. Yeah. We just need Mike, some drums. Mike the Myers. Mike Myers. And uh, <laughs> so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, man. Whoa, Whoa man. man. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what Adam said when, uh, when God brought Eve and said, look what I made. And he said, Whoa, man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, all right. So let's close it out. Uh, favorite, favorite new tradition as a post Latter-day Saint Christian. 
mine's not really that elaborate. I usually try to, you know, I'm, I'm going through the Bible very slowly from the beginning. So now I'm in the Psalter or I'm in the Psalms. So, um, but I do like to read, I like reading the Luke, the Lucan account of um, Zechariah and Elizabeth and, you know, the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. I like, I like rereading all of that. And um, yeah, some, and, you know, maybe one of the other accounts, but I just really like rereading that account, uh, the, you know, the birth of Christ and from scripture and just kind of thinking about it. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not really a huge into the, on my own listening to Christmas music. Like a lot of other people are, you know, you'll hear it when you're out in the stores and you're out and about. So I don't really do that, but um, yeah, just try to, to read scripture related to it and just think about it. All right. Good. Michael. Yeah. So we're in a, a pretty interesting situation right now because yeah, you know, I guess I've been saved for four years and uh, kind of in a new family too. So this is only our second Christmas um, together. And so we're kind of at the drawing board where we've been talking about it. Like we need to actually decide what our traditions are going to be, which is actually a lot of fun because, you know, we're, we're sitting there trying to trying to decide what we're going to make our traditions for the rest of our lives. But one thing that we have started doing and that I really like that I never did as a Latter-day Saint was going to like a Christmas Eve service. And I really like it. Like, the church we go to, like they do the candle lit service where they actually give you a candle to hold up. And I think that whole thing is, is really beautiful. And I, I like that worship service it scared me a little bit last time because they gave my, my kid a candle and it's a real fire, you know? So I was like, there goes the church. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but he, I mean, cause he drops everything like all the time. Uh, even the TV remote, like he just, he's got butterfingers and I'm like, we're all doomed, but it ended up, so it kind of stressed me out a little bit, but it ended up being, being all good. And I'm looking forward to doing it again this year and every year from now on. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Uh, my, my favorite as well is the candlelight service uh, at our church. Um, the first time experiencing that uh, going in, you, you get the candle with the little, I don't know if your church does it, the little plastic cup around it so that the wax doesn't drip on your hand. Um, And, you know, then it comes to that point in the service where they light the first one at the front and everybody shares and lights theirs uh, in each pew as it goes back through the whole sanctuary um, and lights are out and the the sanctuary is lit completely by uh, the candlelight. And then we sing, um, a Christmas hymn. It's just a, it's a very beautiful uh, experience. And I remember how powerful it was the first time. And it's something that I enjoy uh, each year. I'm hoping that uh, I don't know what it will be like uh, this year uh, with COVID. I, I did listen into uh, our online uh, service uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and they were announcing that they are doing in-person uh, Christmas Eve services. Uh, I don't know if there'll be candle candlelight because not sure they'll want everybody because typically they reuse the candles between services. So I don't know that they'll want everybody touching those like that and then reusing them, but hopeful, hopeful that they'll have uh, it be candled in some way. Uh, and I'm sure they will. Um, but yeah, we had to, had to put in for, for tickets because of the restrictions on the number of people that can, can be there. Um, but looking forward to that and hoping it, it'll be beautiful as, as it is in past years. So. Yeah. Well, I, I went to, one of my first Christian churches that I went to, they did a, a light service, but they used 
like your cell phone, like everybody hold your cell phone up. All, all I'm going to say is it cannot even compare no. to using candles. No, um, the candle is so much better. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a lot more reverent than just, you know, throwing your phone up there. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. And I can, I can totally relate to, um, the fear with, with Nathan and the candle, Michael, because, you know, we started going to a Christian church 10 years ago and, and, uh, you know, our two youngest Carly was five and, and, uh, hope was just barely three or not even three yet. So, um, well, I guess just barely three at the candlelight service that first year. So (laughs) yeah, when they, when they handed them to Carly, it was like, Oh no, don't do that. But Michael, yeah, I, I figured you would have been worried about the, the, the church burning down when you walked through the door. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a, these are special churches that, you know, they want depraved sinners. Um, so, yeah. But it was funny because I remember we went and this this elderly lady came and, and handed Nathan a, a candle. She's like, oh, you don't have one. And I'm trying to like, I'm like thinking like, yeah, it's because we didn't want him to have one. Right, right. <laughs> There is a reason here. Yeah, but of course he ends up with a candle, and I'm just like, great. <laughs> just imagining having to clean out like hardened wax all over his pants or whatever. <laughs> it makes me wonder if there's ever been like churches burned down from like handing you know kids these candles. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure that I'm sure it's probably happened at least once. I'm sure. But um, all right, so I'll close this out. Had a little fun here tonight, tonight, guys. I appreciate uh, being together with you again after a few weeks off. Uh, really have enjoyed uh, our conversation. And um, to our fireflies listening in, uh, a very Merry Christmas to you. May the peace of Christ be with you and yours. Yes, Merry Christmas. Thank you. I had to mention a church burning down right at the end of the episode, didn't I? <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas to all and Mr. Pib a good night. <laughs> when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 